So our Bible text today is, has, has already been read in Galatians chapter 6. We started in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 25, and we'll continue through this passage. And so have your Bibles open there and have a place to take notes and, and follow along. Last Friday, a week ago Friday, I was, I was getting ready to head out for a luncheon appointment. And uh, I happened to notice as I went downstairs that there was water on the tile floor and, and I thought, I wasn't down here. I didn't, I didn't spill water. What's going on with this? There's water on the floor? Where'd that come from? This isn't good. <laughs> then I noticed that the water was coming out of the wall. And I'm thinking, this is not good. This is a problem. How does water come, how does water come out of a wall? So uh, I managed to get the water turned off into the house. That's about the extent of my plumbing abilities. I can turn the valve off. I am terrible about plumbing. I can create a disaster in a matter of minutes. Something that should take five minutes can turn into a week-long mess. So I avoid it at all costs. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do about this? So I called a deacon, called a trustee, and, and said, call a plumber. So I did. And, and I was told that they couldn't come for four or five days. What am I going to do? Five days without wa running water? How is that going to work? However, thankfully, um, later in that afternoon, I think it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon, on a Friday afternoon, the phone rang. It was Kelly Plumbing, and they'd have somebody come out and help. And in five minutes, they were there. And so we searched out the problem. We were upstairs, we were downstairs, and we discovered that the water line that came into the house from outside had sprung a leak in the wall going up uh, to the second level. Uh, it was in the entry wall, and it was in the wall over the entry with that closet right next door there. And um, several things impressed me. They had the right tools. You got to have the right tools. That that's everything. You've got to have the right tools. I, I love their oscillating blade that just cut right into the wall, just a little section. I've got to get one of those. Right? That's the kind of blade you want. Uh, they had this mini copper cutting tool that they just locked in around it and turned it around, and, and just like that, it snapped loose, that, that portion, that T that had to come out. Uh, the coolest tool was this Milwaukee Force press tool, I guess is what it's called. It's, it's like a wrench that tightens down the fittings. And I thought, man, that is so cool. I, that, that, that's the way to do it. You've got to have the right tools. But the thing that most impressed me about this whole, whole ordeal is these plumbers on a Friday afternoon when they wanted to go home were kind to me. They didn't make me feel like an idiot. I am. But they didn't make me feel like it. And we laughed and we talked, and in a matter of 45 minutes, our water was restored. Ah, what a difference that made. You know, we all need somebody that comes along to help restore what needs to be fixed. We need those kind, gracious helpers. It's what the Bible describes here in Galatians chapter 6, a, a spirit of gentleness. Church needs to be a hospital for sinners, right? A place where they can feel safe getting help, not condemnation and better than thou, pride. It seems like the church is the only place in the world where, where they shoot their wounded, and, and we can't have that. 
Let's do a Bible study here in Galatians 6. And, you know, that's why we come to church, to, to study the Word and to hear from God. And He's given us His Word that that can be accomplished. Lord, I do ask that You would take Your Word and settle us before Your throne. And may we see that You are a sovereign God. You are our rock, our fortress, our deliverer. You are our help in ages past and our hope for years to come. May we draw near to You and cast our burden on You. I would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, and in that you would give us perspective. Our world is such a mess everywhere around us. It's atrocious. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's awful. Yet, Lord, as we settle our hearts before you and we open your word, we gain perspective that all hope is not gone. We, we have Christ, and we have your assurance, and we have your help, and we have your Holy Spirit. And in that, we have freedom. We have a relationship with you. Every believer who understands the gospel has been made one with you. We're not, not I, but Christ who lives within me, Galatians 2.20. And Lord, within that, we have this rejoicing of this relationship and this freedom that we have provided by the Holy Spirit who is within us, working within us the fruit of the Spirit. And we can walk in the Spirit and we can keep in step with the Spirit by your grace. Would you work that within our church family today and in the days ahead as you use us to edify one another? In Jesus' name, amen. So Galatians 6, I really enjoyed studying this passage, and that's what you want when you study the Bible. Just dig in and you ask questions, you, you look at the sentence structure, you look at the words that are there, and, and so much just comes to light. This was a fun study. Uh, Look at that word brothers, Galatians 6, 1, brothers. Those that have a, a bond, they're united within a bond here. We, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? We have a bond. We're Christians. We're different than the rest of the world. If you're in Christ, you, there's a relationship that you have with your brothers, the brethren. And then this little word, if, this is a second class condition. And in other words, what it's emphasizing is if and when. This is true to fact, this is going to happen. So brothers, if, and we know this is going to happen, anyone, that's any human, every one of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There, there's none righteous, no, not one. So this is including all of us, all of us that are weakened by the fall. And if anyone is caught, this is a subjunctive passive aorist. It's a, it's a factual thing. He's found out. He's detected in a fault. Hmm. In a fault. Or a transgression of fault, I think is how the King James has it. This is a false step. Now take note of that. Underline that or write that on the margin here. Because this is, I think this is significant to our interpretation. What false step is being referenced here. Remember that. There's a common interpretation, this false step. Normally when we come to this verse, we're thinking of, of the big sins that, that have to be addressed. Uh, these, these, these sins where people have been overcome by addictions or adultery or whatever. Look at, back at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh that are evident. You see that in verse 19? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
Um, that's the idea of pharmaceutical, maybe drug abuse as well. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is just a listing, a representation of many things like this. And Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a big deal. Paul addresses a similar uh, situation over in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Will you take a minute to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5? See that in your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It's reported, actually reported, that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, this incest that was being described here. For a man has his father's wife. And down in verse 5, they were directed to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that, not just for the destruction of his flesh, but there's a so that that follows, so that his spirit may be saved. The whole point is that this man would come to repentance, to be saved in the day of the Lord. That's what really matters. If you skip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul references back to this account. When he says, I wrote to you, chapter 2, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians, I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to, to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Then Paul goes on in describing how this man who had been addressed in 1 Corinthians, the first letter, he had repented. So we read here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrows. Remember, a church needs to be a place where sinners can be understanding their forgiveness. It's a hospital to help them, right? Forgive and comfort so he's not overwhelmed with sorrow. A key passage that relates to this as well is in Matthew chapter 18. Will you turn back there to Matthew chapter 18? These are important passages to keep in mind as a, as a church deals with the, the destructiveness of sin that's in our culture. What do we do with this? Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's an Old Testament pattern. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. You treat him like somebody that's, that's outside the church. They're in the world. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a needful procedure or process for the whole point of, of them being restored. If he listens, you've gained a brother. There's a reconciliation there. So that's the, that's the most common interpretation of, of what's happening here in, in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1, who is restored and what sin was referenced. That's, that's the common interpretation. But I want us to dive into this passage a little bit more and look at something that's in the context, a contextual 
interpretation. What's the context draw out here for us? Look at the verses that are immediately preceding this. Back in chapter 5, remember the chapter divisions are just there to help us find our way. So it's a flow of thought that continues. And I think that's very important. This whole thought of Galatians is a flow of thought to this point. And we're coming to a climax of, of this is where the rubber meets the road for believers. Chapter 5, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Earlier, we've read that we are to walk in the Spirit, and here Paul comes back to this point, keep in step, all right, keep, keep the right steps going, and it's with the Spirit. But here, the, just a couple of verses later in chapter 6, verse 1, we read this word transgression or fault, a stumbling, literally a false step. Somebody that's tripped over <laughs> the front step that wasn't there, all right? They've fallen. Now, what's the false step here in the context? Well, look back at verse 26 of chapter 5. There, there are three phrases here, three descriptions. Is it maybe, maybe it's of one person, describing one person with these problems. Uh, it's a, a conceited person, a prickly person, a resentful person. So look at verse 26. Let us not be become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. So this verse is packed between keeping step and a false step. The description of one who is conceited, provoking, and envying. Or maybe it's uh, three different people. Somebody who's conceited, somebody that's provoking, somebody else who's very bitter, envying. Quite possibly, it's one who is pridefully selfish, conceited. You know what that is. It's all about me. We as sinners, that's the way we approach life. It's all about me. And then it shows up in one of two ways. Either somebody who is incredibly bossy or somebody who is bitter and they're just holding it in. The pride shows up in different ways. And we're all prideful. And only by pride comes contention. And everything can be mapped back to this problem of P-R-I-D-E. How does that show up in your life? Are you that prickly person that always has to be controlling and, and, and have their way? Or are you the person that just kind of settles back and says, if that's the way they're going to be, I'm not going to talk. They can just have it their way, and I'm not there. And I'll let them feel how uncomfortable they are without me talking. And inside you're seething and you're ready to explode. And bitterness does explode. Which one are you? You're probably going to need some help in turning from that sinful pattern that bent of your sinful way. I know I do. Look at verse 3. Maybe you're saying, oh, it's not, this isn't, that's, that's, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> Galatians 6, verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something prideful when he has nothing, he deceives himself. It's so easy to see the problem in the other person and then avoid it in ourselves. 
Look back at Galatians chapter 5, verse 15. Again, we're looking at the context here. So we saw the verses immediately around it, some following, and look back at verse chapter 5, verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And we need the work of the Holy Spirit to help us avoid that. That's the context. So we'll need to help people working through uh, conceit and provocation and resentment. And we'll need the fruit of the Spirit working within us to be the tool that God uses to help them. So there will be, there will be times when we need to be, deal with the big problems that we think of as big. They're all sin is big. But those, that, that list in Galatians 5 of immorality and all the other kinds of sins. There will be times we have to deal with that. For the sake of illustration, I'll refer to something that has never happened. I just need an illustration. So I asked him if I could use him as an illustration, Pastor Matt. Let's just say, picture this. Just say, Pastor Matt is downtown at the bar and he's drunk. He's soused. He's out of it. Can you picture that? He's totally wasted. He's out of it. And you get wind of that, and you hear about that. What do you do? You pick up the phone, you talk to everybody. Can you believe that pastor? He's down there drunk. Is that what you do? You gossip? Oh, better, you get on Facebook. Nobody gossips on Facebook, do they? That's the new way to gossip, and you have, you have that righteousness about it. Like, I'm so much better than they are. And so everybody hears about it. And what, what a horrible, or, or do you go and talk to him in a right time, with a right tone, prayerfully saying, hey, brother, I'm here to help. I understand this happened. We need to work on this together. Let's get back in step. And he responds, and he says, yes, I want that. I know, I need that. And you want a brother. That's what it means to restore in a spirit of meekness. More often, though, we're going to be dealing with people that are prickly and um, resentful, prideful, selfish. What do you do with that? They're bossy. They're bitter. They're self-consumed. Well, in the same way, with a spirit of gentleness, restore. That's the admonition here. By the way, here's a newsflash. Sinners will sin. Boom. Put that on the front page of the newspaper, whatever, a newspaper. You remember what that is? Okay. Or, or on you know, the website or the news site. Sinners will sin. No matter where you go, it's going to happen. You will sin. So will I. So we need brothers and sisters around to help. And so Paul here is challenging these in the Galatian region were something he knew was very essential. They needed to know the gospel. They needed to remind, be reminded of their relationship and the freedom they have in that. And they're, they're, no, they're no longer bound. They're not slaves. They're sons. And he's given them the Holy Spirit to indwell. And, and he, not I, but Christ who lives in me. And the Holy Spirit is emphasizing that relationship. And then we are to encourage each other with that truth. 
So Paul challenges the Galatians here, these in this region of Galatia, these churches, with, with several essential elements if we're going to be able to help others stop their sinning. And it's interesting here in Galatians, we've gone through all these, uh, um, these truths that have been illustrated and emphasized throughout the book. And then we get into Galatians chapter 6 and we start seeing imperative command after command after command. So Paul is making a transition here from, from the teaching mode to the uh, application mode. We need to do this. So notice that just in our passage here, these imperatives, these commands that are given. Would you notice these? Back in verse 1 is the word restore. That's a present active imperative. So it's an ongoing action of restoring. We'll come back to that. Uh, in verse 2, you'll see that word bear with, bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Again, this is a present active imperative command. You just keep on doing this on purpose. You literally pick them up. You carry them. Bastazetto. I love that picture. I think, I think if you just Google, don't right now, but if you Google, or if you go to YouTube and you, I'm seeing who's going to YouTube. Okay, don't do that right now. All right, you go to YouTube and, and you click on runner helping another runner. And you'll, you'll see a video come up of, of, a, of a long race, and a, a girl, I think is from Boston College, is within 20 yards of the finish line, and she can't get up off the ground. She's fallen, and she's just totally, totally done. And yet, another runner from Clemson and another runner from Virginia come along and pick her up and carry her across the finish line. That's helping somebody else who needs help. That's bearing their burden. I love that. Another command is this word test in verse 4. But let each one test his work. This is another command. Okay, this is something, you know all this truth, now here's what you do with that. Here's a command. You test or you prove it. And again, this is imperative, a present, active, ongoing thing that we do. We prove this. And there's one other command here that I want to draw out of this passage in verse 6. And it all ties together. It's all in the same context. Verse 6 is to share. This is the word koinoneo. Huh. You've noticed that word before, fellowship. It's a command. So in this passage, you have the person with the fault who's fallen into sin. He's misstepped. And you also have the person who is spiritual. Understanding the gospel, understanding the work of the Holy Spirit, and you have this fruit of the Spirit. The gospel and the relationship that gives us freedom in Christ as sons, and then the work of the Holy Spirit is continuing to do its thing, His thing. The one who is spiritual demonstrates the reality of this walk in the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, and so forth. So this is what we do with it within the body of believers. We restore. We bear with. We prove the realities. And we're able to experience fellowship. This word restore. You're putting it back together. Restore. It's used in secular Greek for mending fishing nets. 
Uh, it's used, I think Matthew Henry references this as it's, uh, it's putting back into joint something that was out of joint, a dislocated bone. It's putting that back together. Katartizo is the word that has the idea of restoring to its original good condition. Back to the way it was supposed to be. So you are challenged by the Word of God to be used by God with the fruit of the Spirit working within you to help somebody else get back to where they were in a good place. A modern-day illustration of this. Let's say you have a 56 Chevy. Guys, wouldn't that be a classic? But it's rusty. It's fallen apart. It's broken down. It hasn't run for years. But somebody with experience and the right tools sees the potential and the value. So they're going to go to work on this thing. In reality, it's a lot of work. It may take years. It's expensive. It's frustrating. You don't have the parts. You, don't, you have to figure out a way to make things work. You get them through the, the tough things. But you just can't quit on the project. You've invested so much, and, and you've got to make it work. Many times it requires cutting out the old and, and putting in the new. You have to sandblast the rust. It's not a weekend project. It may take years. In Georgia, we had a neighbor, Kitty Corner, across from the street from us. And he had a 56 Chevy restored to its original condition. But he was still working on it, even though the job was done. He was still working on this thing. That was a beautiful vehicle. And I said to him one time, are you glad you did that? He said, it's so worth it. People are like that. It's so worth it. To restore. So the one willing to help needs to be very, very diligent about this and carefully consider how they will help. So first of all, check your attitude. What's going on in here and here? Check your attitude. This is an attitude of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. So you restore in a spirit of gentleness. This, this word Prautetos, as it's that same word that's referred to back in the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22, chapter 5, with gentleness. Remember our definition for gentleness? And I, I remember using this gentleness definition, and I saw this look like, why is that in there? Let's come back to this definition, and you'll see in the context why this last phrase is included. It's humble strength which controls our response to others that communicates I'm reasonable and I care. And at the same time, we're not just to ignore the confrontation or the thing that needs to be addressed or the problem that needs to be fixed. If you're gentle, you're reasonable and you're caring, but you're helping them get from a bad place to the place they need to be. That original good condition restored it's what paul references in second corinthians 10 verse 1 where it says i paul myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of christ because everything that christ has accomplished why he came 
What he did was to help us be restored from our fallen sinful condition to a relationship with God because of the gift of his righteousness put on our account. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. I think that's referenced here as well. Paul says, A prisoner, I therefore a prisoner uh, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is the mindset we have. Number two. Consider your own temptation issues. You're a sinner too. Keeping watch over yourself, we read. Keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Consider your own temptations. This word keeping watch is the word to scope. Literally, it's, it's our word scope. It's, but it's in that language, but it's the word scope. To observe, to pay close attention to it. Isn't it amazing how we can identify uh, the speck that's in the other person's eye, but not the beam that is in our own? It's so easy to identify everybody else's problem. But here we're admonished to humbly look carefully, like with a microscope, on our own heart. The hardest sins to see are the sins within. Will you do that? If you're going to be used of God, if you're going to be spiritual, that must be our mindset, certainly with gentleness and then considering our own issues, our own sin nature, our own temptations. So often, <laughs> because we're, we're not looking at it that way, we're not keeping watch over our own souls, we react in kind to the way somebody else. Let's say there's somebody that's conceited and prideful, and they're being bossy. They're, as, as the phrase here is, they're provoking one another. <laughs> provoking. How do you respond to that? So often, what happens is one person raises their voice, the next person raises their voice, and that just keeps piling, on, you know, and then it just gets faster and faster and louder and louder and screaming, and it's like you're on Fox News. And it just... That's so destructive. One person screaming, another person screaming, and what's that going to do for you? Him that thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. Only by pride comes contention. But it's, I think it's really important to move on to this next line here as well. Bearing with one another. Comprehend Comprehend this, the motivating law of Christ. Comprehend the motivating law of Christ. So there's a progression of thought here, right? You're, you're, you're having a gentle mindset. When you're going about this task of helping somebody else, you have this, I've, I've got to be gentle. I need to consider my own sinfulness. And then... I need to remind, be reminded of the law of Christ. You're bearing under the weight. Why would you take the weight of somebody else that they're going through? Why would you do that? Why? Again, it's because of the law of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He bore our sin on Himself. He took the weight of our 
guilt upon himself, and he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. That's the gospel. For God so loved us that God gave his own son so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of God's love. That's the completion of the law. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor just like that. Mark chapter 12, love him with all your heart, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it really comes down to. Why? Because that's who God is. And if we're going to comprehend God, that's the way we're going to learn it. This is the law of Christ. And apart from the love of God, we are nothing. Isn't that something? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The love chapter. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the powers of the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. We have to be motivated by this love of Christ, this true reality of what life is all about. God is love. He's expressed that to us in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity in our situations, because other people fail, to restore them in this spirit of meekness, considering ourselves, bearing their burden because God is love. That's the gospel message. That's the law of Christ. And then number four, and this is kind of, I'd encourage you to dig into this some more on your own study, but consider this, carefully test for genuine satisfaction. Restoration brings satisfaction in a way that it's good. You go about encouraging somebody else who's needing to be restored. There's satisfaction there. Carefully test for genuine satisfaction. Again, this isn't going to happen overnight. There are going to be all kinds of problems to face along the way. But this word test, again, is an imperative command. To approve is the idea of this word test. To, to approve. Let everyone who is, excuse me, uh, but let, verse 4, let each of you test or approve his own work. Prove it. Present active imperative. It's a command. So check your attitude. Check your own sin nature. Remind yourself of the love of God and then run this test. Look for what really satisfies. Verse 4, let each one of you test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. And when I read that verse, I had to write next to it, question mark, question mark, question mark. What in the world is, what's Paul trying to say there? But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in, in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Does that make sense? What's going on there? You're saying I don't know. You're the pastor. You're the one that's supposed to have that figured out, aren't you? Yeah.
a simple tool that I think helps provide a very strong potential for a good interpretation of that verse is to look at the New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase. It's one person, one pastor, writing out the Bible in understandable language for his children and then for others as well. Here's the way that one is translated. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Have you ever done a job and step back and go, yes. And you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else's work. Verse 5, I think, emphasizes this very thing. For each one will bear his own load or responsibility. And look what is developing that's satisfying. As you're carrying out your responsibility to be walking in the Spirit, to be keeping in step in the Spirit, and to be restoring those who have taken the false steps, look at the satisfaction that develops here. I think it's in verse 6. We'll get there in just a moment. But what happens is a satisfying thing. I was thinking through this. Somebody asked me this week, I think it was Lori asked me, so what are you thinking about your mom coming up on Mother's Day? This is what it was. My mom had some great satisfaction. She would have a way of finding that person that was down and out, a single mom, a little girl, and provide, she'd provide for her piano lessons and use that time for encouraging that little girl free piano lessons and come over every week. Neighbor right across the street, I remember, they're on Brewster Drive in Taylor's, South Carolina, right across the street, apartment across the street. This girl would come over and back when mom passed away, this, this, this girl many years later wrote saying mom, she made such a difference in my life. Uh, she was able to build that one up who was struggling. Or uh, a wife whose husband is in jail in uh, Colorado a girl that had three of her fingers cut off, but she wanted to play the piano. And so my mom worked with her over a number of years to be able to learn how to play chords with that hand that most of the fingers were gone. (laughs) That girl went on to major in piano in college and married a a camp director out in California. Coolest thing. You talk about satisfaction. Helping somebody else who's struggling. Or the gal who was her hairdresser, uh, uh, an Iranian lady by the name of Sally. Sally Hoosh, as I recall, is her name. Again, this is like 30, 40 years ago, at least. But she, she just talked with her about the gospel, helped her understand the basics, helped her respond, and that lady went on to follow Christ. That's satisfying. The test, the satisfaction, is the relationship that comes out of your investment. There's going to be a loving relationship between the one who was helped and the one who was taught. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word, and here's a key word here, share. And that word is our word that we use all the time, fellowship. Koinonio. Excuse me. Uh, koinoneo. To, to be able to 
have something in common that you enjoy. Hmm. Let the one who is taught in the word fellowship all good things with the one who teaches. Now, I know often this verse is used as a reference to giving in church, and, and I get that. But the context, as the flow of thought goes, and even the very next verse, be not weary in well-doing, it all flows together with this testing, this, this command to, to look for what really does satisfy. You can make all the money in the world, you can have all the attainments or accomplishments, but when you're investing in another soul, you're, you're investing in the great commission of discipleship. You're helping build up somebody else who's struggling, that's just not quite making it. And you spend that time, you put in the effort, you, you work to restore it to its original condition, that 56 Chevy. And you work with them. There's going to be a relationship there that satisfies. Let me bring you back to this task we have of following Christ and helping others follow Christ. It's satisfying. Moms, I think you can grasp this a little bit. Those that, of you that have grown children that have gone, gone on, originally they were like, man, I've got to do everything for them, and you're really controlling their lives, and then later you start training them and learning how to do things, and after a while, you're just kind of coaching because you can't be there all the time, but they, have to, but they have to make good choices, and so you're helping coaching them along the way. And then they're grown, and they come back as your best friends. That's what you want as a mom. That's satisfying. That's the test. God... You've been so good to reach out to help us. You gave us Jesus Christ. You gave us the gospel. You gave us the spirit to draw us to yourself. You gave us your word. It's profitable in all things. Now, Lord, as we understand the message of Galatians, we understand the gospel and how it influenced Paul in a personal way, and it influences each one of us in a personal way. And everyone here needs to come to a place where they are ready to respond the same way that Paul did. Lord, what will you have me to do? They respond in faith to the gospel and they follow Jesus. And Lord, in that we are beginning to realize this beautiful relationship that you provided. We're no longer slaves to sin, that we're, but we're sons. We're adopted into your family. And we have that sweet relationship with Jesus who abides within us. And the Holy Spirit makes much of that. We experience freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in the Spirit and to understand the fruit of the Spirit in life. Then, Lord, you've given us an opportunity to influence others. And here in Galatians, we're commanded to restore with a spirit of meekness, bearing with one another, understanding the law of Christ, and Lord, we are to continue with this, to test this, to show what's provable as satisfactory of being able to share in fellowship one with another. Lord, may we invest in something that's worth it in life. Certainly, we invest in the stock market. That can be gone overnight or in jobs or in talents. But Lord, when we invest in your people, that's satisfying. Would you prompt us 
by the Spirit to bring this particular point of this message back to our minds again and again in the weeks and months ahead. Lord, as you use us to help somebody else take that next step spiritually to follow you by grace and in faith and obedience. And may we continue in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.